Well, we begin a brand new sermon series today on what is called by theologians, um, expositors of Scripture, it's called eschatology, the study of the last days, the study of the end times. The title of our series, as you can see and have already seen in a lot of different places, is The End of the World as We Know It. I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways we've already experienced that. The world is different than it's ever been, and I don't think we will ever go back in a lot of areas to some, area, uh, to some places I wish we could go back to. I don't think we'll ever go back to those places. Um, a lot of us have seen the end of the world as we knew it. It is a lot different today. One of the ways people express that is by this little phrase that you hear thrown around in our culture all the time. You'll see it on the news especially, and it's called, have you ever heard somebody say, this is the new normal? This is the new normal. Um, when they talk about something being the new normal, what they're saying is um, what used to be abnormal, you need to kind of get over that because that's normal now. They're saying what used to be something we should be concerned about or worried about or see as a problem that needs solving is now something we need to just give up on, go ahead and accept it and move on because these situations are now the new normal. Let me just give you some things I wrote down that I'm hearing people say this is the new normal. We just need to accept it the way it is. Um, high unemployment. We're told that's just the new normal. It's going to always be high. Uh, there's much we can do about it. Here's one that really, really bothers me. Some of these are personal for me. Uh, but this whole thing of printing money um, to prop up the stock market and to prop up our economy, um, I don't mean to be a prophet of doom today, and I'm not here to just uh, tell you negative stuff. Matter of fact, I've got some really good news for you if you'll hang in there with me. Uh, but, but this whole thing of propping up our economy and the stock market, uh, people are going, oh man, the stock market's great, it's 17,000, it's never been that high. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. If we stop printing money, which is very, very bad for an economy, it is one of the things they do when the economy's bad, you're going to see a crash. You're going to see a crash. And I, I'm just saying that to you, uh, again, not to make you feel bad or dread the future, but I'm just saying to you um, that that is a huge mistake, uh, in my opinion, this whole thing of printing money to prop things up. It's like building this very heavy object on toothpicks. It might stand up there for a little while, but just knock one out of place, bam, it all comes down. I'm afraid we might see that. Uh, more people than ever are depending on um, government to support them. Uh, corruption in the Internal Revenue Service is at an all-time high. Uh, the Internal Revenue Service is probably the most powerful arm of our government. And uh, I don't know if you read recently that they have made an agreement with an atheist organization called Freedom From Religion. Have y'all heard about this? And their, their uh, whole deal is to, they have made this agreement with this outside organization that churches are going to come under more scrutiny and pastors are going to come under more scrutiny uh, from the Internal Revenue Service uh, and they're going to threaten to take our uh, tax-exempt status away if we don't say the things from the pulpit that they want us to say. Um, 
a new one, another new thing. I stood with a young lady uh, this morning between services with tears in her eyes who they're experiencing this. The firing of our military personnel, uh, even while they're on the battlefield, even while they're still um, in a foreign country fighting for us, going ahead then and giving them a pink, pink slip, telling them when you get back home you won't have a job, um, and you might be out there going, you don't really know what you're talking about. This is necessary. I just got to tell you, that bugs me right there. Um, distrust for government leaders in both parties is at an all-time high. Acceptance of sexual perversions as normal. We are seeing that happen. We're being told that's the new normal. What used to be um, perverted is now normal. We need to accept it and move on. Uh, a blight on the history of America is our uh, the, the times of, of slavery, and we know that, and it, it's a dark time in our nation's history, but there's a new slavery, uh, human trafficking. I would encourage you to educate yourself on that, what's going on in the world. Uh, declining morals as we've never seen before. One of the things that really bothers me that people say is the new normal um, are churches that used to be known for preaching and teaching truth are now watering it down and diluting the message. And uh, that's very troubling. Uh, we're being told today, uh, matter of fact, I'm hearing this one a lot, is that the sins of adultery and fornication, uh, they are really no longer sins anymore. And there are certain situations where God puts his okay on that. And uh, people tell me you can work out little side deals with God so you get to keep on fornicating and keep on committing adultery. And uh, this is one of the things we're told we need to accept, that it's normal. Um, the abuse of our children is on the rise sexually, physically, and emotionally. Um, another thing that we're seeing uh, uh, that is getting a stamp of approval is this whole thing of mixing religions and mixing theologies to come up with some hybrid religion that makes everybody happy, that makes everybody feel good about their self. Uh, our culture, and I could go on and on, the, the list doesn't end there, I could just keep going, but these are things that we're being told that we need to stop fighting against, that we need to stop being concerned about, we need to just accept these things, they're the new normal, and uh, what used to be wrong is now right, and what used to be right is now wrong, and we need to stop uh, fighting that. Um, people ask me from time to time, especially when we're having a series on this topic, they will say, I mean, pastor, really, you know, the end times, when you talk about the end times, when you talk about eschatology, there's really a lot of rough stuff in there. There's a lot of rough topics you have to cover. Uh, there's, there's a lot of violence in the end times. Uh, the judgment of God is coming, and people come go, do we really have to talk about that? So I did a little research. I found out um, some other topics in the Bible. I decided I'd just do a little comparison. How many of y'all have ever heard of being born again? You ever heard of that? Uh, do you know the Bible mentions that nine times, the new birth, nine times? But let me, can I just ask you this? How many times does the Bible have to mention something for it to be important? One time, okay. So nine times the new birth is mentioned. Uh, y'all think water baptism's a pretty big deal? Uh, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we need to get you baptized. Um, a little girl came to the preacher one day and said, uh, I got saved and I heard from my Sunday school teacher I need to get advertised. 
And so somebody said, uh, you got that wrong. And they said, no, she got that right. That's really what baptism is. You accept Jesus, you want to get advertised. You want everybody to know. And there's no better way than just holding you under till you say tithe. And so, so the new birth uh, is mentioned nine times. Water baptism is mentioned 29 times. How many of y'all think repentance is pretty important? I mean, if you want to go to heaven one day, uh, you're going to have to take that road of repentance. And uh, repentance is mentioned 70 times directly in the Bible. You know how many times the return of the Lord is mentioned? 380. 380 times. One theologian did research and discovered that one in every 25 verses in the Bible either talks directly or indirectly about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is a very important topic. A theologian of old and a great Bible expositor of history named Alexander McLaren was commenting on how the early church, the Acts 2 church, the church that was birthed right after the uh, day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, how they thought about the second coming. And uh, I think you would agree with me, if we're going to model this church after a church, it needs to be the early church, the church of Acts 2. And let me just give you a little reference. You're not going to find this in your notes. I don't want you to turn there. But if you want to know what the early church was like, write this down in your notes right up at the top. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. There's a little nutshell right there where God draws this picture for us in a few verses of a healthy church. And it is in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So Alexander McLaren is talking about that early church, and this is what he says about how they thought about the second coming. He says, the early church thought more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than, about they, than they thought about death or heaven. He said this early church, they were not looking for a cleft in the ground called the grave. They were looking for a split in the sky called glory. They were not watching for the undertaker. They were watching for the upper taker. Now, I know there are some people here today, if you haven't already said it, you'll probably think it before this series is over and you want to go, but pastor, I've been in church all my life and I've heard that Jesus is about to come and that we're right on the edge and signs of the times, and now here I am 30, 40 years later, and you're saying the same thing. I understand that. However, what I'm seeing, and Mitchell Grantham, and you all know Mitchell, Mitchell is going to help me with this sermon series, actually. Um, I'm going to preach today, and I'll be preaching next weekend. Then Mitchell's going to join me on the stage, and we're going to answer your questions about the end times. And uh, we'll be giving you different ways that you can ask your question. You'll be getting some information about that. But uh, some of you have been, I've always wondered this, and I've always wondered this. And so we're going to stand up here, he and I, and uh, I'm going to ask the questions. He's going to answer the questions, all right? Because then if y'all don't agree, you can talk to Mitchell in the foyer. So, but how many of y'all have read Mitchell's writings about the last days? He has a blog called Discerning the Days, and I would encourage you to get his blog. Uh, he's our media director, but I got to tell you, he knows a lot more than media. He knows his Bible, and uh, he is, uh, I call him, he would deny this, I, I view him as an expert on the last days, especially as it relates to current events. So we're going to talk about that after I preach a couple sermons. We're going to talk about that. We're going to stand up here and answer your questions, and then there'll be one more sermon at the end of the series. So it's a five-part series. But... Um, Mitchell and I were talking recently, 
And, and I think he would agree that our conversation kind of came to the place that, you know, it's different today when it comes to the signs of the times. We're actually seeing a multiplication of signs all at once. And we're going to point some of those out in just a minute. We, we're actually seeing a conversion of signs as never before in history. So we'll be uh, talking to you about that. Now, the Bible, again, gives us many, many signs of the second coming of Jesus. But I don't believe we're going to find uh, one sign more clear, more poignant, more powerful than what we're going to read about today in Daniel chapter 2. So go to the Old Testament in your Bible, if you've got your Bible on your phone or you got it on a tablet or whatever. And let's, uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Now today, let me just go ahead and tell you, you've got the sermon notes on the little card that was handed to you as you were walking in or it was in your seat when you walked in. You're going to want to write down, if you want to take this deeper, if you want to take this further, if you want to do some study at home on your own, and I hope you will, that I'm going to be giving you some scripture references that aren't on those notes, and you're going to want to write those down. I already gave you one, Acts 2, um, verses uh, 41 through 47. That's not in your notes. You want to write that down right at the top. So uh, the Old Testament prophet Daniel, what do you all remember about Daniel? Lions then, absolutely. And uh, that was pretty cool, you know, and uh, that'll get a king's attention. And um, prophet Daniel was uh, given by the Holy Spirit not only uh, protection over those lions when he was thrown into the lion's den, but he was given amazing insight, deep insight into the second coming of Jesus Christ. Probably other than Revelation, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel has more to say about the end times than other books in the Bible. Though I will tell you that most of your Old Testament prophets talk about the second coming of Jesus, if not all of them indirectly, if not directly. So the Bible's filled with talk, with information, with prophecy about the coming of Jesus. So let's begin in Daniel chapter 2. Now you've got in your notes, you have verses 31 through 39, right? Well, we're just going to read through verse 34. Now you've got to make me a promise that when we stop at 34, you stop right there too. I don't want you doing Bible study while I'm preaching because i got awesome stuff up here, okay? So you don't want to miss it. All right, that's a, by faith I say that in Jesus' name. So um, we're going to read verses 1 through 34. Now the reason I put all of it in there is because I want you to read the rest of those verses when you get home. And, and I want, because it really uh, gives you some deeper understanding and deeper meaning there. So here's the deal. Let me, uh, let me just do a setting of this scripture before I read it. King Nebuchadnezzar. Y'all heard of King Nebuchadnezzar? Old King Nebuchadnezzar, a lot of things we could say about him. Uh, but King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian king, had a royal case of insomnia. But mixed in with that insomnia was some sleep, and that sleep brought nightmares. Anybody ever had a night like that? Like you woke up the next morning, you're tired when you woke up than when you went to bed because you ate ice cream and collard greens right before you went to bed. And so... <laughs> You saw visions, man, you know, and they weren't from God. Uh, they were um, collared visions. But anyway, um, so, so 
um, he has this dream and he, he can't, so he calls all his mystics together. He calls all his soothsayers and his fortune tellers and his so-called prophets. And he says, tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means. And none of them could do it. None of them could do it. But then somebody spoke up and said, hey, I know a man in prison. He's in jail. He's in prison. He said, but this man, the Holy Spirit is upon him. The Holy Spirit is upon him. Now, I got to believe that whoever told Nebuchadnezzar that was an unbeliever. Did you know unbelievers can tell when you got the Holy Spirit on you? And so those unbelievers, the unbelievers said, he's got the Holy Spirit on him, man. You need to talk to this Daniel guy. So they brought Daniel in because Nebuchadnezzar was pretty messed up, pretty nervous. And so Daniel comes in, and Daniel's bold, you know. He's got God, and he's got the Holy Spirit on him. And so he stands there in boldness, and uh, he says, hey, First thing I'm going to do, kings, I'm going to tell you what you dreamed. I don't want you to tell me. I'll tell you what you dreamed. And secondly, then I'm going to tell you what it means. So here's Daniel talking. Daniel chapter 2, 31. It's in your, on your card there. You, O king, saw, and behold, there was a great image. In other words, you saw an image of a human being. It was uh, like a statue. You saw like a statue of a human being. This image, which was mighty and of exceedingly great brightness, stood before you, and the appearance of it was frightening to you and terrible. Verse 32. As for this image, its head was of fine gold, its breast and its arms were of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay, the kind of clay baked by the potter. And King Nebuchadnezzar, as you were looking at that image, a stone, came out of the side of a mountain. And what is that stone? You see it there in your notes? Jesus Christ, Messiah Jesus. And you look, now a stone, Messiah Jesus, was cut out of a mountain, and we'll see that later. It doesn't say it here in this verse, but it, it'll say it later. It was cut out of the side of a mountain without human hands. In other words, men didn't cut this stone out of the mountain. And this mountain or this stone began to roll down the mountain, and we'll read this later, and it smote the image where it stood on its feet at the foundation. It smote this image on its feet of iron and baked clay of the potter, and what? Broke them to pieces, okay? So don't, don't keep reading. Stay with me, and when you get home, dig into those other verses because you'll get the deeper meaning there, and I hope you will do that study. Actually, those different metals and the clay and all of that were pictures of um, kingdoms of the world that had been and no longer were. Kingdoms like the Romans and the Greeks and the, and the Persians and, the, and, and all of them. It goes through that whole list in the verses to come, and he says... He says, so I want you to get that. This, this was a picture of these human nations, nations 
kingdoms created by humans, civilization created by humans. He said, and out of the mountain rolled a stone that smashed the kingdoms of this nation uh, or the, the kingdoms of this world, the nations of this world. And in your dream, King, that stone started to grow and grow and grow and it became a mountain itself. And I love this, a mountain that filled the whole earth. Now that's prophecy, ladies and gentlemen. And not only is that just prophecy, it's clear. A lot of people don't study eschatology and they don't study the last days and they don't study the end times because they say, I just can't understand it. I got to tell you, it is not nearly as hard as you think to understand the last days um, as a lot of people have made you believe. So get into it, study it. Uh, if you want to some books that are really, really easy to read. I could recommend a lot of them, but I'm going to tell you, Dr. David Jeremiah's work on the last days is some of the best, clearest stuff you will ever read. And if I say something up here that you've read that he said or you've heard him say, I want to just tell you, he got that from me. So uh, for the sake of time today, we're not going to go on the rest of those verses because it's kinda, it, it just kind of goes into some detail that we don't want to do here. You can do that on your own. But let me just say this. This is important. Get this. That passage in Daniel chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 31 through 39, that passage, because you know I'm a simple man. I preach simple sermons. So let's just boil it down. What was he saying in all of that about the gold and the bronze and the silver and the Romans and the Greeks and all these kingdoms? What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. Two things you can be sure of. This world is going to pass away as you know it. The kingdoms of humans is going to pass away. And number two that he wants you to get is what's going to bring about the passing away of those kingdoms is the sure return of Jesus Christ to this world. That's what you need to understand. So if you've got yourself attached to the kingdoms of this world, if you've got yourself attached to temporary things that are going to pass away, things that are going to turn into dust, the Bible says here, I would urge you today to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face because I'm telling you a day is coming when Jesus Christ will be the only thing that stands. His children and his word will be the only thing that stands. His kingdom will be the only thing left standing. And I will tell you that if you're not part of his kingdom, you can become part of his kingdom today. You say, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. You paid for my sins. You rose from the dead to give me life. And I've lived my own life to this point, but I want to live the rest of my days for you. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin, and I turn to you, and I give you my life. Wash away my sin. Adopt me into your family. Receive me as your son. Receive me as your daughter in Jesus' name. And he will. He will do it today. And you can become a part of a kingdom that will never pass away. 
If you're a Christian today and you're glad, can you give God praise right now? Aren't you glad you know him? You're glad you know him. Yes, sir. Amen and amen. Amen. So God is showing us that human civilization is going to unravel. Men are going to bring, men are not going to bring in the golden age. I know we're, we're conditioned to believe that. We're told to believe that. You know, somebody gets elected and we're like, this is it. This is the guy. I don't care who gets elected from either party. Peace won't come till the Prince of Peace comes. And the Prince of Peace is Jesus. Jesus Christ. Until he comes, human civilizations are going to continue to unravel. Evolutionists say that we came from a beast. The Bible says we're going to a beast and his name is Antichrist. This world is headed that way. Behavioral psychologists tell us today that God is within us, not that we received him, but Behavioral psychologists tell us that we are God. We are all little gods, and what we need is a boost from within. No, the Bible says we don't need a boost from within, because I'm telling you, apart from God, there's nothing in there. We need a birth from above. That's what we need. Amen. A second birth, uh, the birth that Jesus talked to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. Now, it's amazing to me that people mock the Bible. They laugh at the Bible and ridicule it. One of the great ways, and there are many ways I know the Bible is the Word of God, but one of the great ways I know the Bible is the Word of God is because of fulfilled prophecy. And I could give many examples, but one of the clearest examples, and I love my Jewish brethren, and I support Israel, and I pray for Israel. I pray for the redemption of Israel. I'm praying for peace for Israel right now. Uh, I, uh, if you want to know where I stand on that, Israel's where I stand on that. And uh, uh, Amen. We love, we support. No nation is perfect. America's not perfect. Israel's not perfect. But my Bible tells me if I stand with them, I'll be blessed. If I don't stand with them, I'll be cursed. I don't know about y'all, but I've tried both, and I like being blessed. Amen? So I'm with Israel, and I believe this church is. Um, um, but, but as we look at uh, prophecy about Israel and, and my Jewish brethren, who missed out on the truth that Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, was the Messiah. They missed out on that. And the reason they missed out, and I want to clarify that for you, if you've ever wondered why don't they believe it, is because the second coming of Jesus that we're talking about that hasn't come yet, they thought that was going to be what it would be like at the first coming of Jesus. But see, the first time Jesus came, he came to save us. The next time he comes... He will come to be sovereign Lord of this earth. And so the Jewish people thought that Jesus was coming the first time to establish his kingdom in this world. I mean, the disciples kept asking, when are you going to establish your kingdom in this world? And so that's why they have rejected him as the Messiah. But one of the things that makes it so hard for me to, to understand why they did that is because of the description of the birth of Messiah, I mean in detail where it's going to be, how it's going to be, and then it comes in, in Luke 2 and the other places in the Gospels described just the way Isaiah and other prophets said the Messiah would come, but they missed it. So 
You can read about the birth of Jesus in the Old Testament, and then you can go there and compare it to how he was born in the New Testament, and it's exactly the way the Old Testament said it. So one of the ways I know that the Bible is true is fulfilled prophecy. And the people of the bridge said, amen, amen. fulfilled prophecy. So let me just give you three things, and I could give you a whole bunch more, but let me just give you three things that are happening right now in the world that are signs of the coming of Jesus. The first one uh, that I want to mention to you is in Ezekiel 37 and 38, and it is uh, this whole deal of Russia and its allies uh, invading the Middle East. The Bible talks about uh, uh, Russia doing this and how they will come from the north. There will be this great army that comes from the north against the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. And I want to just tell you that what you see happening in Russia uh, right now is just laying out the, if you just look at a map, you can just tell that they're already, they don't even really know uh, probably uh, all of this, but they're getting in position, they're being put in a position to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37 and 38. And I could go into that, but we don't have time. You study that on your own. Another prophecy is in the book of Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16, when it talks about an army of 200 million that will come against Israel uh, west of the Euphrates. Well, when you look at a map, the west of Euphrates is this country right here. And recently, not very recently, but in the last 10 years, an article came out in a publication, a magazine, a news magazine in America, and that article was stating the number of people in the army of China, a number of foot soldiers in the Chinese army, and it used the exact number that the Bible uses in Revelation 16, 200 million. And this was a secular publication. I'm sure they didn't consult with the Bible before they wrote their article. Would y'all be pretty sure about that? And so, so right there it is, the world, it's happening in front of our eyes. We go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and in 2 Peter chapter 3, we read about what I believe is nuclear warfare when Peter talks about a day that is coming, a time that is coming when the elements of the earth would melt with fervent heat. Um, I was reading this week, and I like what one preacher said. He said, people who don't believe the Bible said it started with a big bang. He said he didn't know about that, but he's pretty sure it was going to end with a big bang uh, nuclear warfare. So now what I want you to do, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. I want you to look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Now before we do that, I'm just going to pause right here because there's somebody that serves our church that I want to thank, and that's Mr. Anthony Parrott. Anthony Parrott is the young man who makes my slides for me so that they will be here for you to read up on the screen and, and on the little monitor here. And sometimes I send Anthony an email and say, Anthony, Jesus gave me another slide. 
I'll try to get them to him by Wednesday, but I'll say, Jesus gave me another slide. I try, I try to put it on Jesus. You know, I apply a little pressure. And uh, I say, uh, man, if you can get it on there, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. And I sent him a bunch of stuff this week and uh, at, at, right at the end of the sermon time, and he got it up here. This is one of those slides, and I just appreciate him uh, for doing that so much. And I also want to thank Jamie Cooper. Uh, you guys see, I don't know if you picked it up on the way in. Did anybody pick up this little, this little timeline right here? Well, if you didn't pick it, on, pick it up, don't get nervous. You can pick it up going out. And this is a timeline of the last days, okay? And I sketched this thing out with a magic marker when I was in Bible college. And I thought it looked pretty good. Till Jamie got it and did this to it. And she made it look awesome. So I hope you'll pick one of these up and uh, study it and look at it. Maybe it'll help you understand uh, the events that are yet to come uh, at the end. So let's look at Daniel chapter 2, and let's look at verse 44. Everybody ready? Everybody say amen. amen. And in these days of these final ten kings. Now, you say, what does that mean, final ten kings? That kind of backs up to the other scripture we were reading at the beginning so I'm not going to get into that here, but you can get into that easily and see what that means. But it says, and in these days, which are those last days, those final days of these uh, ten king, final ten kings, shall, this is so important for you to get this. So I want you to pick up at the word shall. Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Do you hear that? That is a direct word of revelation from God that a kingdom is going to be set up on this earth and that kingdom will never end. Now he's going to go on to say, and I'm going to read it, that it isn't going to be turned over to somebody, that it's going to be God. Now, guys, if y'all can pop that timeline up on the screen for me. Um, so I don't, you probably can't read that. I'm standing right here at it and I can't read everything on it. But you're going to pick that up on the way out. But you see rapture going up? See, when we talk about the second coming of Jesus, we're not talking about the rapture. You understand that the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus are two different events. And between them is what? The tribulation period, and how long is that? Seven years. Seven years. Now, some people believe it's 40 years. Uh, and some people believe that the rapture is going to be in the middle of the tribulation, and some people believe it's going to be at the end of the tribulation. But we here at the bridge hold the classical, theological, eschatological view. I know big words. And this is the classical interpretation of Scripture by men like um, Chuck Swindoll, David Jeremiah, great preachers of yesteryear. This is what they believe. Now, those people who believe a different timeline, as long as they have Jesus in their heart, they're going to go in the rapture. They're, gonna, they're saved. They're going to go to heaven. Now, the good part is that when the rapture happens and they think it isn't supposed to happen yet, we get to look at them and go, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, <laughs> as we go up in the rapture. Now, I'm about to do, this is going to be very, very powerful, very, very dramatic. I'm about to do a dramatic scene of you going up in the rapture. Are you all ready? 
Was that not huge? <laughs> now, there's people sitting here right now going, this is a crazy church. I already, I'm visiting today, and they're talking about, and the preacher's doing people going up, and well, I don't know what's happening. Um, this is classical, biblical theology. The word rapture isn't in the Bible, but one day we're going to be caught up. That's what the word rapture means. Now, what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to talk about all these different levels, all these different things, Old Testament, birth of Christ, death of Christ, resurrection of Christ, ascension of Christ, and then the church age after the day of Pentecost. And then we're, that's where we are right now. Right there is where we are on the timeline right now. We're in the, we're, now some of y'all think you got raptured, but you're still here, okay? And so you're right in there. And on the day of Pentecost, the church age was born, and that's where we've been ever since the day of Pentecost. Y'all with me? So, so the rapture is the next big thing on God's calendar, and Jesus doesn't come back to the earth. He comes in the clouds, and we are caught up, raptured to be with him in the air. You say, man, really? Seriously? Yes. What's that going to be like? I don't know. I mean, are like airplanes going to fall, and cars going to run in the ditch, and all that kind of stuff? I'm not sure how all that's going to be handled, but I know my God can handle it. And we're going to be caught up to be with him in the air. All those who do not believe will be left here to go through the tribulation period, which is seven years. Three and a half years will be pretty normal. Three and a half last years will be called the great tribulation. Antichrist will reveal himself right there at the middle of the seven years. And that's when he'll turn violent, turn against the children of God. And, uh, and, and there's a lot we'll talk about right there in that great tribulation. Then up in heaven is the judgment seat of Christ. So we've been raptured. So is stuff going on up here? Partay right up here. Okay. And trouble down here. T-R-O-U-B-L-E right down here. Okay. So and throw some Elvis in. So, but we're up here and we're going through the judgment seat of Christ called the Bema Greek word bima, judgment seat of Christ, marriage supper of the Lamb, and that is a wedding that's going to take place and a celebration of the wedding because he is the groom and his church is his. Isn't that awesome? That is going to be the coolest wedding ever. And so we're going to be a part of it. So what is the judgment seat of Christ? And see, let me just preach right here a little bit. A lot of y'all think, gosh, I can't believe how late it is. A lot of y'all think that when I'm up here saying you need to serve, you need to get involved, you think I'm trying to recruit you, you think I'm trying to pressure you, you think I'm just trying to get more people to help us out, and all those things are true. <laughs> but, but the real main reason we do it is because you're going to stand before God after the rapture. Now, you're in heaven, signed, sealed, delivered. You're never coming back down here or ending up in hell down here. You're always going to be in heaven. You're signed, sealed, delivered. Uh, Stevie Wonder, great prophet Stevie Wonder. So you're signed, sealed, delivered right there. Amen. And so people right now, I did not know he was a prophet, Stevie Wonder. And so, so um, what is going to happen here? Jesus is going to say, you're saved, you made it. You're going to go, yay. He's going to go, what did you do after I saved you? He's going to go, what did you do? Because I'm looking here to see what you did after you became a Christian. You never served at church. You never did an outreach. You never fed at the soup kitchen. You never told anybody about me. 
you just kind of got your little ticket to glory and lived your life the way you were pretty much living it before. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm going to talk more about this next week, but there's going to be shame right here. There's going to be shame and tears. So when you hear Pastor Farrell, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Andy, others stand up here and urge you to find out what your gift is, I mean, we're very intentional about this as a church. We have classes because we're going to stand before God too, and God's going to go, why didn't you tell, why didn't you help them? So we are doing it. We have classes to help you discover your gift and get you plugged into ministry. Because, and the main reason for that is because we know that day's coming for you right there. And we want God to say, well done. Well done. What? Well done what? Good and faithful servant. So if you're not serving, you need to jump in. And you don't have to jump in here. See where God wants you to serve. Ask God where he wants you to serve. God, you saved me. You've gifted me. You've given me time, talent, and treasure. How do, you, how do you want me to use that for you? Because when I stand before you on the last day and I'm at that judgment seat, I know it's not to determine if I'm going to heaven or not. I know I'm going to heaven, but I want you to be able to say, well done. Amen. So we'll talk more about that next week. So Luke, I'm sorry, let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. I don't know where Luke came from. Daniel chapter 2. And let's look at verse 45 again. And in the days of these final ten kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Everybody say amen. amen. Nor shall its sovereignty be passed on, that is, left to another people. He will rule and reign how long? Forever. But this new kingdom coming in shall what? Break and and. All these earthly human civilizations and kingdoms, and it, God's kingdom, shall stand. If you are connected to the systems and kingdoms of this world, you will pass away. But if you are connected to the kingdom of God, you will stand forever living with him in glory. Amen. Verse 45. Just as you saw the stone, remember the stone rolling down the mountain? Just as you saw in your dream King Nebuchadnezzar, just as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke into pieces, in pieces the iron of that statue you saw, it broke the bronze, it broke the clay, it broke the silver, the stone rolling down, this Jesus rolling down, it broke it all, the gold, the great God has made known to the king, you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what he's making known to you, sir. What shall come to pass when? Future days. Eschatology. The dream, sir, that I have just told you about and interpreted for you, your dream, the happening of your dream, the fulfillment of your dream is certain, and the interpretation I have given you today is let me tell you three things about Jesus being a stone. It says he's a stone. See in your notes, fill in these blanks. We're closing. We're coming in for landing. I see the runway lights. I'm gearing it down. But I have been known to get very close to the runway and pull it right back up. <laughs> and the people said, 
Matthew chapter, now look, you got two scriptures. Guys, go to that next slide for me. Jesus is the scorned stone. He is the scorned stone. Jesus is the stone. We established that. I'm showing you that the Bible says what kind of stone he is. 2 Peter 2.7 says he is a scorned stone. John 1.11 says he is a scorned stone. But there's another scripture, and I want you to write this right beside these two, and I want you to listen because I'm going to read this one to you. Matthew chapter 21, verses 42 through 44. Matthew 21, verses 42 through 44. This is Jesus talking. Jesus asked them, have you ever read in the Old Testament, have you ever read in the scriptures, the very stone which the builders rejected and threw away has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, Jesus said. Man's doing, he's rejected. He is scorned. They want to throw him away. They want to slight him. They want to overlook him. They want to dismiss him. They want to ignore him. They want to do to Jesus what Pilate tried to do to Jesus. Pilate tried to wash Jesus off his hands, but he could not. He sent Jesus to other judges, but every time Pilate turned around, Jesus was right back in front of him. And it is by the mercy of God that as you run from him, some of you sitting right here today run from him. Every time you turn, there he is. He loves you. He's after you. The Bible calls him the hound of heaven. And when he gets on your trail, he will not leave you alone because he's pursuing you. He loves you. He wants you to receive him. You can scorn him, dismiss him, try to overlook him. He's used to it. He is the scorned stone. John 1.11 says, He came unto his own, the Jews, and they received him not. But you can't wash Jesus off your hands. And you can't get away from Jesus until he's ready. And the day he decides to leave you alone will be the saddest day of your existence. He is a scorned stone. Number two, he is a stumbling stone. 1 Peter 2.8, if you will, just put underneath that 1 Peter 2.4 through 8. Let me just read it to you. Peter says, come to him then. What an invitation. What an invitation from the apostle Peter. Come to him then, to that living stone which men tried and threw away, but which is chosen. Men tried him and they thought they had thrown him away, but he was chosen by God the Father. And he is precious in God's sight. No matter what men think of him, this stone is precious in God's sight. Come, and like living stones, be yourselves built up into a spiritual house for a holy, dedicated, consecrated priesthood to offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. For thus it stands in the Scripture. This is the Apostle Peter reading from the Old Testament. He said, for thus it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion, Israel, Jerusalem. I am laying in Zion, 
a chosen, honored, precious, chief cornerstone. Listen to this. He's talking about Jesus. He says, and he who believes in him, the person who believes in this precious, chosen, honored, chief cornerstone, the person who gives his life to Jesus, trusts in Jesus, relies upon Jesus, adheres to the teachings of Jesus, listen to this promise, shall never be disappointed nor put to shame. And the apostle Peter goes on, you remember before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, what a weakling he was? And then when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he became a bold man who preached like this. In verse 7, he said, To you then who believe, it is the preciousness. That is, Jesus is the preciousness. But for those who disbelieve, the very stone which the builders rejected, in spite of your disbelief, has become the main cornerstone. So you rejecting him, scorning him, dismissing him, did nothing to who he is. He's still the chief cornerstone. He goes on in verse 8, and this stone will cause stumbling and a rock that will give men offense. Jesus, he, he's offensive. That's why we're so nice to y'all when you come in the front door of the church and we're just all about loving on you and giving you coffee because we're going to offend you when you get up in here. Amen? Jesus is offensive. Jesus says, you're going the wrong way. Jesus says, you've made the wrong decisions. Jesus says, if you stay on the path you're on, you'll end up in eternal hell. So we try not to offend y'all out there, but we're going to rip you in here. Because the gospel offends. Jesus offends. It says he causes stumbling. And a rock that will give men offense, they stumble because they disobey. It's powerful. They stumble because they disobey. They stumble because they disbelieve God's word. They stumble as those who reject him were destined, appointed to do. The world stumbles over him. He's in the way. They wish they could get rid of him. He is a bother. Jesus is a bother to this world. He is a nuisance to this world. The third thing I want you to notice is not only is he scorned, not only is he a stumbling stone, he's a solid stone. Now the Bible tells you this in a lot of places. Psalm 118.22, you got that in your notes? We're not going to read that. Don't turn to it. Here's some other scriptures where it tells you, read Matthew 21, it talks about him being a solid stone. Mark 9, Ephesians 2. I could give you a whole bunch of other scriptures, but I want, you, I want to read my favorite one to you. My favorite one is Isaiah 28, 16. It says, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. Anybody interested in what the sovereign Lord's got to say? The Bible's about to tell us. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, Israel, Jerusalem, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, I love this, for a sure foundation, solid. The one who relies on this stone, I love this promise, listen, will never be stricken and will never panic. 
Now, I got to tell you something. When the tribulation sets in, there's going to be some panic in this world. You're going to see some arrogant people fall on their face because my Bible says every knee will bow. My Bible says every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. But the Bible says that the man who depends on this chief cornerstone today, right now, will never know that panic. He'll never know it because he'll be rescued. He'll be raptured before it sets in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I got three more things as I close. I'm going to give you all three things at one time. Can you handle it? <laughs> Put in your first blank suddenly. He's going to come suddenly. Put in the second blank at the end of your notes. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Not suddenly. I'm, that's terrible. Yeah, y'all wrote in ink. Mark it out. The first one is supernaturally. Supernaturally. Number two, suddenly. And number three, I, actually I sent a, a typo in, so there I got the third one for you there, I believe in the notes, sovereignly. Just put a line under sovereignly. That's actually what goes in that line there. So he's coming supernaturally. How do we know that? How do we know man don't have something to do with all this end time stuff? Here's why. Because the Bible says that that stone that came out of that mountain that rolled down was not carved out by human hands. That tells us right there it was supernatural. The coming of Jesus is supernatural. You say, well, I'm praying for peace and I'm praying for the peace of Israel. That's wonderful. You ought to pray for peace. You ought to work for peace. But I'm telling you right now, peace won't come till Jesus comes. And he's coming. He's coming. You say, well, I, I've got some hope. You know, I see some systems and kingdoms in the world men have come up with. And I tell you, they're pretty smart. I think, you know what, you're rearranging decks on the, you're rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. That's what you're doing. She's going under, baby. She's going under. You can fix the chairs all you want to. That thing's sinking. Amen. Amen. He's coming suddenly. Look what it says. It says that the it says in Daniel 2:34 that the image, listen, it smote the uh, that the stone rolling down that mountain smote the image. That tells me it was sudden. That tells me it was unexpected. That tells me that the coming of Jesus, and I know we don't like to hear this in church, but it's going to be violent. And it's going to be cataclysmic. But you who go up in the rapture will not have to worry about that because the Bible says he will fight that battle of Armageddon for us when he returns. The first time he came, he came as a little babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. But the next time he comes, it will be sudden, it will be violent, it will be cataclysmic, and he will take down every enemy of his. We, we walk in a time of grace now. We walk in a time of mercy and I know some of you, when I talk about Jesus taking out his enemies, it bothers you because you just see Jesus as this big old grandpa, you know, and he's sitting up there on his throne saying, everybody come get up on my lap now. We're all God's children. No, he doesn't say that. Some of you aren't God's children because you haven't come to Jesus. You haven't been adopted into the family. Come to Jesus. I said, I read it early. Come. The invitation of the apostle Peter, come. You have to Come. You have to come, Billy Graham. How many times have we heard him stand?
behind that podium and preach with great boldness and say, come, I have literature. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) That invitation, come, come, come. We used to stand in church years ago and sing, come unto me. That invitation is open. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. The The door of the ark is open this morning. We live in a time of grace. We live in a time of grace. We live in a time of forgiveness. We live in a time of opportunity for you to come to Jesus. But I'm telling you, that door will shut. You say, why would you say something like that to me? Because I love you. I love you and I want you to know this door is not going to always be open. You say, well, how quick is he coming? The Bible says he's coming in the twinkling of an eye. You say, well, how fast is that? I heard somebody say, there's 20 twinkles in a blink. I have no idea if that's true, but it sounded good to me. That's pretty quick, isn't it? Because a blink is like a blink. And so a twinkle, I don't know, whatever. He's coming fast. Number three, he's coming sovereignly. Jesus Christ comes this time not as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, but this time he's coming to rule. This time he's coming as a king. This time he's coming sovereignly. This is the way the Jews were looking for him to come the first time. That's why they reject him. He's coming that way this time. And really the tribulation period is for the salvation of the Jewish people. There will be people from many nations saved, uh, but it's primarily for the Jewish people. He's coming in power and great glory. Somebody said this. They said the first time he came, he wore a robe of shame. But the next time he comes, he'll wear a robe of splendor. The first time he came, he wore a crown of thorns. But the next time he comes, he'll wear a crown of pure gold. Because he will come to establish his kingdom on this earth. And we will rule with him. And Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter then. The the false prophet and the antichrist will be cast into the lake of fire. And for a thousand years, we'll have wholesale revival all over the world. No more sickness, no more pain, no more weeping. Hang in there. You say, Pastor, times are rough. They're hard. Listen to me, my brother, my sister. You hang in there. He's on the way. He's coming. I got some places I want to go I've never been. I want to go to Hawaii. Amen? Anybody with me? I don't see myself getting there in this life. I really don't. But I'm going when we get in that millennial reign. Because when I read the Bible, I kind of pick up that during that thousand year millennial reign, that wherever I want to go, I can just think it and I'm there. How about that? Y'all, y'all like to take some trips like that? Hey, baby, I'll be back in a little while. I'm going to Hawaii. <laughs> Are you glad you're saved? I know they mock you. I know they laugh at you. I know you turn the TV on it. I have one sitcom after another, one movie after another, one TV show after another, one newscast after another. You're told you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. The reason for that is Jesus said the way that leads to hell is broad because there's so many people on it. 
So that's the message we hear 90% of the time. And narrow is the way who leads, that leads to life everlasting.